0: How can you be part of a religious community that straight up to high signs it feels like the church, it trying to hold on. the church seems to be stuck mm-hmm. in their ways when the rest of the culture Why are they so obsessed with the people? They keep gaming? trying to give answers, would but they never don't even the church is the most t- vocal, political, political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to that they worship the actual How can your story be good that is where the majority of people on the church It seems like so much of the church is exposing being a good anti-critical American, thinking, being a good homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the next episode of The Church Needs Therapy. Now, this is, I'm recording this a little bit late. It's Monday morning, the weekend after the election, and some people I've wanted to have on the show, some normal routines I have, things have been thrown off because it took almost a week to decide, or at least to to establish the president elect, right? It took almost a week from Tuesday until Saturday morning when it was announced that Joe Biden was the president elect, and that was one of the longest weirdest, most stressful, anxious weeks for America in a long time. And now, in light of even some of the episodes I've done here on the church and Donald Trump, I think it would be clear to most people that I was probably not going to vote for Donald Trump, and I didn't, which my little, one thing I would say about that is, While I do not, nor have I ever believed the Democratic Party is the key to making everything right in our country, or especially everything right on a universal or global scale, not even close, let's just say starting Saturday morning, my wife and I with friends from the mainland over Zoom started with a toast of Rosé at, I think it was probably seven o'clock on Saturday morning. That night we were drinking champagne and eating cupcakes. That celebration went into the next day with maybe some leftover cupcakes still, um, definitely a couple more drinks, um, some fried foods on Sunday night. And then it ended, the, the whole celebration concluded with me on the couch eating the rest of all of my kids Halloween candy so again the the work always continues the work always begins holding leaders accountable is always a part of the role of the church calling any system any institution any government towards a further vision of the kingdom of God that places at the center the most vulnerable and the most marginalized people is always the role of the church. That doesn't stop when you have a democratic president. It continues. The shape of our work towards justice might look and feel differently, but the work always continues. But it is beautiful and hopeful And amazing to see what would probably be half of America have this collective sigh of relief. You know, it's weird when a presidential race is over that relief seems to be one of the most common expressions that people have. I mean, of course there's celebration. In the streets, people dancing, people partying. It's really amazing to see all of the different celebrations across the country right now. And I love it, but it just, people just seem relieved, right? And not just because you have a person or not just because you believe a democratic president might have policies that reflect more of your values, not just because you, you have a president who will hopefully structure things that will be more beneficial for all people, including those on the margins and those who usually get forgotten on the underside of power. But it's just to not have to deal every day with polarizing, bombastic, inflammatory, incendiary, incendiary I know those were a lot of big words, rhetoric from the leader of our country, who's supposed to be guiding us and helping us feel grounded and more safe and more stable in our existence. So, I'm so happy for everybody who has breathed that collective sigh of relief, people who have slept better, people who are feeling more hopeful. And, you know, the work continues for all of us. So, with that said, today, actually, what I wanted to talk about. Was I wanted to talk about Carl Lentz, mega churches, celebrity worship, and why that entire culture and system is so impossible. Let me put this water down. For those of you who listen in, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but Carl Lentz was until last week the lead pastor for Hillsong's church in New York City. So I believe he was responsible for leading the first Hillsong church in the United States of America. So Hillsong is essentially one of the biggest, I I call it brands. It's one of the biggest brands of churches on the entire planet, right? It was started in Australia. They have churches all over the world. They have a massive following. They're responsible. They're, They're like the head of the Christian industrial complex. It's like, you know, Def Jam to hip hop, you know, in its in its peak. It's like these massive, you know, any like Apple, what Apple is to technology and the phone. It's like to evangelical charismatic churches, Hillsong essentially sits at the top of the mountain as the most visible brand. So there's this guy, Carl Lenz, who, who was the lead pastor of it of the church in New York City. And last week, Hillsong, the leader of Hillsong, Brian Houston, announced that Carl Lentz was going to be fired, immediately fired from his position for quote unquote moral failures. Now, quick thought on that. For those of you who aren't as familiar with sort of Christian popular level evangelical speak, any time an evangelical leader publicly talks about quote unquote moral failures one it usually has something to do with sexuality and some sort of transgression now other times it's money and embezzling like tbn preachers cheating people out of money or whatever but most of the time it has to do with some sort of sexual transgression so what's interesting about that phrase that's that vague sort of ominous phrase moral failures is one most people assume assume it's sexual but two, it's also vague enough where it can cover an entire massive spectrum of possibility about what was actually done. So they fire him, people begin speculating what happens. The next day, the former pastor of Hillsong New York, Carl Lentz, posts a picture of his family and writes an Instagram post, which, you know, in and of itself was relatively vague but he took responsibility for what he called being unfaithful in his marriage which is again another vague way of admitting there was you know some form of sexual transgression without really talking about the depth or details of it which isn't necessary obviously for that post so that's what happened right so when i look at that story like that story grieved me a lot. When I first read that, I I don't know if "surprised" is the right word, but it definitely hit me. And here's why. This so today. I'm not really talking about Carl Lentz personally. I don't know him. He's never been somebody who I've looked to as a guide for the future. We seem to have extremely different ways of thinking, seeing, being, and doing this journey of Jesus together, but I don't know him personally. So this, this, this this episode isn't really about him. It's about the culture that celebrates him. It's about the system in place that allows people like him to rise to the top, So it's not really about him personally, although we can get into a little bit about personal accountability and what it means to take ownership when you make a mistake as a religious leader. I'll probably get into that a little bit. But it's really about the culture and the system that is in place in so much pop-level Christianity that allows people to rise to the top That demands things from people who rise to the top, that requires things from people to rise to the top, and basically creates an impossible life for people to remain at the top of that pinnacle of the cult of Christian celebrity. So let me start with this question I'm basically going to ask myself Who does pop? Christian, and when I say pop, it's just a popular dimension, the most visible expression of evangelical Christianity, right? Who makes news? Who gets book deals? Who do people look at? What podcasts are listened to, et cetera. So who does pop Christianity celebrate? I'd say pop Christianity celebrates the pastors who have the biggest churches. It celebrates the pastors who preach from the biggest stages, who have the biggest platforms, and who have the biggest following. So immediately when we think about pop level Christianity, what are we celebrating? And whenever we celebrate something, it communicates what we value. So what is it that we celebrate when we, when we look at who pop Christianity sort of places at the top? Bright lights, charisma, Massive followings, oftentimes a particular look that goes along with it, right? The the culture, again, we're talking about a more systemic thing of what is the culture in place? What is the system at work that keeps creating leaders who rise to the top only to watch them fall and to have the same system that celebrated them before now devour them once they fall? So already the values of this shows why it's twisted and problematic on so many levels. Right, We have an entire system and culture of celebrity worship that is at work in the church that, if we're honest, just mirrors and repeats the same celebrity worship that is at work in our culture as a whole. It's just the celebrity worship that happens in the church does so in a building that happens to have a massive sign that says Jesus on the outside. It's the same thing. It's just the cultural values of power, prestige, possessions, and celebrities that is that is at work. It just happens to all be done in the name of Jesus. And the show that's put on is a church service or whatever else kind of tour that we're doing now that again this is where nuanced sort of complex thinking comes in that doesn't mean everything that happens in a mega church is bad that doesn't mean that individuals aren't genuinely encountering god or christ there i'm not saying that at all but what i am saying is while good things can happen for people on individual levels Larger systems and cultures can perpetuate toxic environments that also work in our world and create negative consequences, right? This culture demands superstars, CEOs with a lot of charisma that are high energy and usually have a lot of style, which is, it's so interesting because in the name of the one, we're talking about Jesus, in the name of the one who talked about how the last shall be first, we celebrate superstars. In the name of the one who says the greatest among you shall be a servant, we celebrate celebrities who have the biggest stage. In the name of the one who never elevated people with a high social status above others, we look to the pastors who have the connections with other celebrities and people who have the highest level social status to be the models that we're supposed to look up to. And that's just so, that's, since we're talking about the, since the election's so fresh, that's the moment where if that was a debate, Joe Biden would look at that and say, come on! Right? Like what other comeback do you have except come on? Which, so look, that's the, what? what's the culture, right? What does pop Christianity celebrate? That's where we begin. Rock stars, celebrities, and I mean like, I mean pastors who are these things. Big stages, bright lights, massive followings, charisma. It sounds a lot like just what our culture demands of celebrities, which then raises the next question. What kind of a life is required to get to the top of what of what I and many others call the Christian industrial complex, right? So here's these handful of leaders who were at the top, right? It's like the, it's like this it's like the great cloud of witnesses in Scripture, but it's the great cloud of you know celebrity pastors who people worship and look up to. But what is required to get to the top of that? How hard? Do you have to grind? How much do you have to maneuver? How fast do you have to sprint? How long do you have to run? How quickly do you have to move? Are we requiring from people an impossible pace of life in order for them to get to the top and to maintain their position at the top? Right? We want people be at the top. But what's required for them to remain at the top is a life that is not possibly going to be grounded in the slow, small, evolving pace of grace that we see at work in the spirit of God. And then when people get to the top, they get all weird and there's scandals and it's power and it's money and it's and it's sex, and it's infidelity, and it's all these things. I'm like, these what? what is required from the culture of these celebrities that so many people worship is they have to keep up a pace that does not allow them to rest, that does not allow them to stay deeply connected with God, that does not allow them to have access to their true self. And then that's why every single one of these leaders who gets to the top all deal with massive amounts of burnout right even if they're not committing infidelity even if they're not doing weird stuff with finances and power and control which usually you see somebody falling into at least one of those three depending on their coping mechanisms i've never heard of one leader getting to the top of this sort of evangelical mountain of celebrities without dealing with real forms of burnout Right, They're adre- I've heard stories of how these leaders' adrenal glands are completely burnt out and fried. Right, Your adrenal glands are what process adrenaline in your body. So I've heard stories of these leaders who are at the top burning out their adrenal glands, draining the serotonin from their brain because their bodies are so broken down and fried from processing so much adrenaline, from leading these massive... Sort of corporate level, corporate style churches leading these massive performances every single Sunday that their body is actually breaking down and can't handle it. There's a system and a culture in place that makes it impossible for leaders to be deeply following the very Jesus they keep preaching. There's a culture and a system in place that requires leaders to betray the pace of the Spirit of God in order for them to keep up the pace to maintain their position, right? So when I when I see a story like Carl Lentz, which is just one of many, my issue is not with him personally, although he has to personally be held accountable, and I'll say something about that in a sec. My issue is always to zoom out and be like, but there's an entire culture and system at work in the church in America that keeps on churning out these leaders and keeps watching them fail and yet we keep on doing the exact same thing now that doesn't mean these individuals don't need to take personal responsibility it's not like they're not the people the leaders who create victims who abuse their power who who are you know who are cheating on their spouses who are doing all types of weird stuff in churches They need to be held responsible. Just because there's a system and a culture in place that lends itself towards a certain way of life doesn't mean any individual who's within that system doesn't have responsibility. Right? Carl Lentz needs to be held. He needs to take responsibility for what he's done, and I hope he continues to do that. You know, when you see Bill Heibel step down from Willow Creek after 30 or 40 years, he needs to take responsibility. And I, I mean, I don't know because I don't know what he does. But they're, they're not victims. They're not, not, they're not passive victims of a culture. They're also agents who have responsibility to make decisions and they need to be held accountable accordingly. But here's the thing. When you have an insecure ego with good looks and a lot of charisma, get a large amount of power and prestige, eventually they're going to dominate people, they're going to control people, they're going to have sex with people, they're going to do all types of weird things around power, money, and sex. And we keep on seeing that over and over. We keep on seeing that happen And yet the culture just replaces one idol and just pushes up another one, right? The system itself stays the same. It's just the people at the top change. They kill themselves to get to the top. They fizzle out, get involved in some scandal. They get toppled over, but the next guy's behind them getting ready to get to the top, and it's the same thing over and over. Just during this process, paying attention to this story, I saw a clip of the comedian Joe Rogan on, on his podcast with another comedian, Bill Burr. It was probably from a year ago, way before this scandal broke. And they were talking about Joe Osting and the fact that he does arena tours. And you, obviously, they're making a lot of jokes about it. But somehow, Joe Rogan was like, oh, yeah, there's some kind of rock and roll church in New York City. You know, who's that guy? It's like Justin Bieber's mentor. And a picture was pulled up of of Carl Lentz on there and they're riffing and they're telling a lot of jokes, many of which I won't repeat here. But they looked they just looked at him and her a little bit of a story and essentially and at that point when they said it, a lot of Christians could have been like, that's judgmental. That's this or that. But it's just interesting. Just take it for what it is. They basically were saying that guy's definitely having sex with women in his congregation. How do stand-up comedians have the eyes to see what an entire culture and system of Christians is unable to see? The ridiculous nature of pastors and Bentleys and private jets and Rolls Royces and buying their spouses Lamborghinis and buying $50,000 watches and... how do stand-up comedians have more clarity on what a massive gap there is between the most celebrated Christian leaders and the actual person and presence of Jesus? That's just something to think about. How do people who are... And it's probably because we need people outside the system to actually see the system with more clarity. So thats I wanted to begin with the 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 system and the culture as a whole. Who does pop Christianity celebrate? Superstars. What is required for people to become superstars? An impossible pace of life. What happens to them? They burn out. They find coping mechanisms that end up destroying themselves, their families, and their entire congregations. And yet, go to any Christian bookstore right now, look on the bookshelf, and the The most common faces that you see are the people who are caught up in and celebrated by this very system. Now, let's move on for a second to the individuals here. We're talking about showing grace, extending forgiveness while holding people accountable. What does it mean to extend grace, to hold people accountable? And to allow individuals to deal fully with their consequences in this moment. Right? Of course, you embrace, you recognize that people are fully accepted by God, and there's never a need to act as if God withholds love from people. I think that never happens in life. But in doing that, we also have to take seriously, hold accountable, and take the weight of decisions like this by leaders. Seriously. So while this story was breaking and I'm seeing people writing different... Because, by the way, because this guy had such a huge following, right? He's like Justin Bieber's mentor and a million other things. This story was covered by every news outlet from the New York Times to Perez Hilton to local news stations to People Magazine. Like, this was a massive thing. And a part of me knowing how much large mega churches do to cover up and sort of sand over and try to not deal with the full weight of scandals it was released i think the day after the election and a part of me just thinks there's some str- there's some strategy there to try to bury it in the news of the election now i'm not saying that happened but just the fact i have that thought comes from all of the knowledge I have about how much cover-ups happen in mega churches, right? I mean, that's a whole, that can be a whole episode in and of itself. But one of the things people were writing about was when Carl Lentz wrote on Instagram, you know, posted a picture of his family and said, you know, I've been unfaithful. Somebody was talking about how there was dude bros, which I don't know if you've ever heard that term, dude bros, but a dude bro is basically a white guy who's like, dude, bro, come on. And then he says what he's going to say. So I saw people writing about how there's all these dude bros in his comments after he admits really all he admitted to is being unfaithful. We don't know what that means, even though there's a lot of speculation, which that's not I don't I don't speculate on things like this. Um, People were so quick to be like, dude, excited for what's next for you. Dude, God will use you outside of this. You know, you're still my hero. Excited for what's next, bro. You know, there's, there's so much more ahead, like those type of comments. So here's a guy who just betrayed his family, his wife, the congregation, the public life he was living, right? And I'm not judging him. There's zero judgment when it comes to acting as if a person has less value, has nothing to do with that at all. But when you take a person who embraces that public role of leadership, and you find out that behind the scenes their life looks a lot different from what they're living, that's something that needs to be taken seriously. So people had comment, people had issues with a lot of these comments from the dude bros who were like I'm excited for what's next, bro. God, we we'll use you outside of this. You're still my hero. It's like there, there, there. Hopefully, there will be something next. Eventually in his life, I still believe God will use a person who makes a mistake, but to jump ahead immediately to be like, dude, I'm excited for what God's doing next without first dealing with the weight and the grief and the death and the loss and the hurt and the damage that's been done through this feels dismissive and feels dangerous and feels like we're trying to gloss over where we are in order to jump ahead to what could be, right? Do you feel how that has nothing, accountability has nothing to do with holding, with withholding grace or love not at all it has to do with taking suffering and sin and death and loss and tragedy seriously grace and love don't gloss over death and tragedy and hurt they actually are the very thing that hold together tragedy and hurt and loss and betrayal that's what holds it together so when, pe- when we talk about what does it mean to be held accountable and show grace, when you have dude bros jumping ahead to excited for what's next, bro, God's going to use you outside of this. You should start your own church. It, it's like wanting peace with no justice. It's like wanting victory without pain and sacrifice. Or as our story shows us, it's like wanting resurrection without the crucifixion. They want to jump ahead to resurrection without having the courage to sit in the darkness of crucifixion. They want to jump ahead to victory without dealing with the reality of pain and sacrifice. They want to jump ahead to peace when they don't want to take the time to work for justice. And that's when that feels cheap. That's when it's like you're not ready to sit with the reality of this yet. But that desire for resurrection without crucifixion makes sense because the cultures of the churches who create these superstars These are cultures of high energy, intense music, $100,000 sound systems, flashing lights, massive crowds. These cultures tend to be places that constantly focus on victory, on winning, and on resurrection energy, and how everyone has their hands raised, and it's all about Jesus, and we're going to ride this train until we're never going to lose. That's the kind of energy that you get when you go to these churches. That's why the churches that have the biggest stages, biggest platforms, and biggest following tend to be pretty shallow. That, again, that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're not legitimate followers of Jesus. It just means they tend to be more comfortable splashing and having parties in the kiddie pool than they do swimming into the deep end of life. Because that same energy that constantly, it's all victory, it's all winning, it's all God's in charge, it's all high, it's all we're all on the mountaintop. These are the same places who seem to not have yet cultivated the capacity to deal honestly with death, with loss, with suffering, with grief, with our shadows, with our wounds, with our illusions. These are places that want resurrection without dealing with the reality of crucifixion. So it makes sense that there would be an entire group of people who are wanting to jump ahead what's next without dealing with the full weight and reality of what is. But that is not how life and healing and res. There is no resurrection without death. There is no healing without first being honest about the wound. Every therapist, every person who knows how transformation works is aware of that dynamic. Right? There's this writer, Jared McKenna, he's an activist from Australia. And he was responding to this and he talks about grace and the gravity of grief. And he's essentially talking about that tension between. Living with the posture of grace, but learning to deal and face and own the gravity of grief. And churches, these superstar, we're going to rock and roll and rock out and jump up and down with our hands raised until Jesus returns places. Oftentimes, they're very comfortable with resurrection and grace. And they're extremely uncomfortable with crucifixion and grief. But they're both two interwoven, interconnected, inextricably, inextricable elements of life. You can't have one. You can't be all about joy without dealing with the reality of pain. And so when we, when it comes to extending forgiveness while holding people accountable, grace and love do not mean we don't deal with the reality of lost tragedy betrayal like my thought when i heard this story is what's thanksgiving going to be like for his wife and three kids and again this isn't a, this isn't just about carl lenz like you know i again like i he's not one of those main guys for me personally it's carl lenz and what he represents at, during this tough moment during this moment where he betrayed his family, it's what he represents for the system and it's about the system and culture as a whole. All the individuals are held accountable, but that's what I'm concerned with right That's where my focus goes. I immediately zoom out and think about the larger sort of systemic issues at work and the, the what is that was my first thought. What is Thanksgiving going to be like for his family this year? what is christmas going to be like where is his wife going to be in her like in her hurt in her grief in her tragic heartbreaking gut turning i can't eat kind of punch in the face that something like this is like especially now cuz I'm just even looking at stuff this morning there's all these there's so much more stories coming out where you know a woman's coming out telling her story saying how they had a 5 month relationship other people in the church were saying they've known about this since 2017 and the church tried to silence them who knows what's going to come out of this I have a tendency to lean towards believing the stories of people who have a lot less to lose meaning the women who are telling the stories about what happened versus a church that's worth over a $100 million, I'm sure, and who has a massive global following. I tend to believe individuals. I'll tend to believe women who are sharing individual stories versus an entire system that runs like a corporation. So who knows what's going to come out of this? But is there a time... When there's resurrection from this for him for his family i hope so and i believe there is but not by not before sitting with the death sitting with the pain sitting with the sin sitting with the mistakes and letting it letting god do all of the work in you through those horrific but what can become sacred wounds in your life so grace absolutely but the gravity of grief and not trying to rush over, bypass, or or skip around that process. That is one of the biggest tensions that needs to be held in these moments. And also, if someone said, Kevin, what idea do you have for handling a situation like this? Excuse me, and here's what I would say about that. This is my idea. Because my assumption, like, I love Richard Rohr. I love how in his wisdom, in his poignancy, and in his, in his age, he just says what he says. I remember reading, I think it was Falling Upward in one of Richard Rohr's books. And he said, he's talking about megachurches and stuff that fills stadiums. And it was just a small side comment. But he's talking about the megachurch, and he just said, look, only the ego builds that. Like, think about how simple it is. Only the ego wants that. Only the ego needs. It's nothing to do with the downward, downward moving, descending servant shaped heart of Jesus. Right? Like only the ego wants to build that. And he said, and he essentially says, only a shallow gospel can fill stadiums like that. And I think he's accurate on both of those. Again doesn't mean people putting those things are bad because I don't think they're malicious I think most people just lack self-awareness and lack understanding but here's what I think anytime this is this is my sort of this is what I would hope for for someone like Carl Lentz this is what I would hope for for any of these high profile big stage leaders who end up Embezzling money, cheating on their wives, having sex with women in the congregate, or doing what like, or just or just dealing with control spiritual abuse and power stuff where they're just basically running things like, you know, a massive dictator, which is also which also happens. Which by the way, those are all just coping mechanisms for unhealthy people who have too much power and intention, who can't handle the pressure. But here's what I would say: anytime a pastor from a mega church does something that means he needs to get fired like for the reasons i just said here's what i would say he cuz it's, it's you know it's always a he when we hear about him he should not be allowed to lead in a church for at least 5 years and i'm just kind of throwing that number out there he shouldn't be allowed to lead in a church for at least 5 years and then when he comes back He should never be allowed to be back on stages using microphones or preaching big public sermons again. Think about that. No leading in a church for five years. And then when he comes back, no more stages, no more microphones, no more public events. This will reveal... If they feel genuinely called to be a pastor, if their life is truly about Jesus like they say it is, and if they really want to serve people. Because if any part of them feels a compulsion to get back on a stage quickly, that is still the insecure ego that is at work in them that created the problems in the first place. The need to be in front of people is still coming out of an insecure ego and some unhealed wounds within them that created the problem in the first place. But I feel called to preach. Well, on a big stage, the only part of you that wants to be on a big stage is your insecure ego that feels validation through being in front of that many people. And I'm saying that unequivocally. And I'm saying that clearly. Again, People who preach on stages aren't bad, but the people who need to be on stages, that always flows out of the insecure ego that is creating the problems in the first place, and you cannot solve the problems of the ego with more power from the ego. Let me say this even more clearly. God does not call anyone to preach on a big stage. Right? I'm going to make that claim right now, just based on Jesus. God does not call anyone to preach on a big stage. Now, let me qualify that again for anticipate questions. That doesn't mean you can't ever preach on a stage. I don't. Personally, I've chosen to never use stages in our church for all kinds of reasons that we're talking about. What I'm saying is God does not specifically and individually call any other individual to preach on a massive stage. This doesn't mean that doing so is bad. It just means if any one of these guys makes the claim that God has called them to something bigger, meaning life on a stage, that is just the insecure ego's need for fame and power disguising itself with religious and Christian language. If they, first of all, taking a break for five years means no more adrenaline, no more fast-paced life, no more. A lot of what we're talking about is also just workaholism, right? People work themselves to, in order to avoid themselves. So the impossible pace required for these people to maintain their space at the top of the mountain, basically, it's just workaholics and burnout, right? And we work hard as a way to avoid vulnerability in our wounds without realizing it. So if you take five years off, that forces you to ask the question, Who am I? Who am I without the stage? Who am I without a public following? Who am I without the prestige? Who am I without all these invitations to get paid $20,000 to speak at? Who am I? Is me being in Christ enough? Is me knowing God enough? Is me simply being me enough? Is me being present to my kids enough? Is me being open, present, and engaged with my spouse enough? See, in five years, you don't get the adrenaline hits. You don't get the attention. You don't get the rush. You don't get all of the different toxic elements of the narcotic that dropped you in the first place. right? You don't get those things. And for five years, you can just be honest in the presence of God. And then when you come back, if you, if you really feel called to lead, no more stages. Because if, it's, if, if you being you is enough, you don't need a stage. If Jesus is actually enough, you don't need to be back on a stage. Or well, I feel called to preach. Well, here's, I will let you be in a room with 10 people. And you can teach them. Well, I'm meant for more. No, it, God's calling you, if God's calling you to the substance of preaching, then you can preach in this room with 10 people. And any part of you that wants more—that's just your insecure ego, that still doesn't trust God is enough. And the fact that you don't trust God is enough for you means there's still too many problems at work to trust you in this role, right? Back to extending grace—you can extend grace and embrace somebody. Doesn't mean that you treat them the same when it comes to what roles they play in a community. You can—I can, I can love, wholeheartedly love and embrace somebody. That doesn't mean. I want them to sing on a Sunday. You can love you can love me wholeheartedly and embrace me, but trust me, don't put me in a place to sing because I can't sing. And so you can embrace and extend grace to somebody, but that doesn't mean putting them in any specific role. Matter of fact, if you trust Jesus is enough, it ain't got nothing to do with having a specific role in a church. What is that? I thought it was about loving, loving people and serving people and guiding people. So those are always my thoughts, right? If you look at the life of Jesus and then really look at the life of Jesus and then say, Jesus, I called you to a big stage. You're lying to yourself. Look at the life of Jesus and tell me God's called you to preach on a big stage. It's ridiculous. That's just your insecure ego. Those are just the, the things, the, the wounded parts that are hidden in the shadows of your life that you can't see because by definition, the shadow is out of the light of your consciousness that still need validation from something outside of God. So that's what I always think is like, maybe there is resurrection in the future when it comes to their role. But how about let's never put these people on stages again? Because then you'll see if it's actually about following Jesus, serving people and preaching, or if it's just about the the same ego that's re-emerging in a new way that wants to be back on a stage. Because... The comeback stories of these pastors who quote unquote fall, it's like they want to rush back to a stage as quickly as possible to talk about how they made a mistake and how you could. it's like, dude, this is the same thing and this and the culture and the system keeps eating it up. It's there's some there's a massive amount of collective growing up the evangelical subculture who worships at the altar of celebrity really needs to do. Because everybody, think about those comedians, everybody from the outside can see how ridiculous it is, how ridiculous it is, except us. So a couple concluding thoughts I have on this, just a few things. I don't really have concluding thoughts. This is just, I didn't prepare a teaching. These are just a reflection on all of this. One personal transfer, this is, this is. Here's what I would say. It's sad that personal transformation is always the last thing. Charisma. Teach them how to preach. Teach them how to lead. Get him another organizational leadership book. You know, praise their hard work. Praise their effort. Praise how much they're willing to kill themselves. Pray blah, 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 right? Deep personal transformation and healing is always the last thing people do. Even the pastors, leaders, and clergy people who keep telling you every Sunday, that the first thing is God, the first thing is Jesus, and the first thing is transformation. I've seen it over and over again. Deep personal healing and transformation is always the last thing, and it's supposed to be the first thing. We keep, we have a system in place that keeps promoting leaders who work the hardest, move the fastest, hustle the hardest, have the most charisma. And to be honest, we don't really care. How deeply transformed they are. We don't really care. We as long as they keep talking about it's all about Jesus, all about Jesus, all about Jesus. We're not really how deeply are they going through the process of healing? Are they uncovering what's in their shadows? Are they dealing with their own woundedness? Right? These personal transformation is always the last thing. That's supposed to be the first thing. And my like gut level reaction when I heard this, just thinking about the system as a whole, is like why can't Jesus be enough, right? We leaders say it all the time. It's all about Jesus. So I'm like, why can't Jesus be enough? Because if he was, you don't need all that celebrity on a stage. You just don't need it, right? Your, Your life performatively denies the very things you're saying. Why can't Jesus be enough? Why can't pastoring be enough? Why can't guiding people be enough? Why can't shepherding people be enough? Why is it that culture is, yes, I feel called to that, but I also want to be a rock star. That's what it is. Everybody can see it except the people in it. Why can't guiding, shepherding, and pastoring people not be enough? Because if it was, if Jesus was enough and pastoring was enough, and we were taking our own transformation seriously, and we were being present, these things wouldn't happen. First of all, these churches probably wouldn't even exist. <laughs> but these things wouldn't happen. And even though I mentioned this earlier, my first thing is the family. What's Thanksgiving gonna be like real? There's real, there's so much damaging consequences to decisions like this by a leader. The family, the wife, how, how do you come back from this? You know how do you trust and heal again? Like that's just a whole personal journey, where I just feel so deeply for that family leading into this holiday season, and uh, and for the church. You know how many people in his church feel lost, betrayed, and confused right now. How many people who already are barely holding on to this to to their relationship with the church see this and they're just like, "I'm done. This this is why." This is why I want nothing to do with the church. Leaders out here preaching every Sunday and cheating on their wives and caught up in scandals. How can they live with that level of, how can they live with that massive gap within themselves, right? Think about the damage. People are barely holding on to their belief in the church and this happens and they're done. And, And people who laugh at the church and want nothing to do with the church. This is just another reason for them to do that. This is why when you see comments, there's so many people who are like, huh, you know, just the the typical, like, huh, not surprised. Like, look at this, like, not surprised at all. And while I feel for the family for those comments, I also understand why people outside the church would say that, you know, it's, it's, there's an entire, when it comes down to it, there's a culture and a system in place that is toxic that is that needs superstars, that demands celebrities to be their leaders, and yet doesn't realize that as a collective whole creates a system that makes it impossible for these superstars to be whole in Christ. And then we get surprised and shocked when they put on display how their life how so much of their life is a lie, how they've been running on empty, how they've been Dealing, how, how they've been using all these coping mechanisms to survive. So the system's responsible, the culture's responsible, Carl Lenz and every other individual is responsible for the decisions they make. And dealing with systemic realities never negates individual responsibility. He has to be held accountable, he has to take ownership. And look to mothers, sisters. Aunties. Dads who are actually taking care of their kids. Uncles who are stepping in for dads who aren't there. Coaches who really care about the kids on their team. School teachers who keep showing up in impossible times. Look to these people to be your heroes. Not these... (laughs) I didn't want to mark this episode as explicit. Not these superstar celebrities. This is just not what the way of Jesus is pointing us to. Look to the artist who cares about their work. You know, look to look to look to the doctors who care about their patients, the nurses who keep showing up during this tough time. Look to your servers at restaurants that are that are kind even when people aren't. Look to the baristas who actually care about the people who come in. Look stop Looking to these impossible, superstar, fake, weird celebrity culture of Christianity. This has nothing to do with the way of Jesus. Look to the, look to the people who text you when you're hurting. These are the people who teach us what it is. Come on, man. Look, I'm bringing Joe Biden back one more time. Come on! So yeah, the church needs therapy. Our obsession with, with celebrity is a huge issue that that we need to be healed from and we need to move on from. So this is just the beginning of that conversation. So love you. Look to the people around you who are following Jesus into the cracks of your community because that's where you're going to find Christ.